Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. I don't usually use the podium, but this sermon is a little difficult. In case you throw things at me, I have a shield. We've been going through the, uh, the book of 1 Peter uh, for a while now, and as I was thinking about it this morning, I guess retrospectively, if I would have thought about this is a Sunday that we have a lot of visitors, I might have moved this around a little bit, uh, but then I'm also going to believe that uh, in the sovereignty of God and that God has you here this morning for a reason, uh, but we typically just go through, uh, not always, but typically go through a book of the Bible just kind of section by section, and today we're actually doing all of First Peter chapter 5, so it's kind of a, a bigger section, but we're talking about what it means to shepherd the flock of God. And uh, I remember uh, when Jeannie and I were first married, we were uh, <clears throat> one morning uh, looking at, I think, the, the newspaper. And for those of you who are too young to remember a newspaper, uh, a newspaper was the printed internet that they used to deliver to your house. And uh, we were reading this, and uh, they had uh, the local town that we lived in, uh, had, the city council had just voted themselves a raise, which apparently they were able to do. And so somebody drew a little caricature in the paper of the city council members with their hand up saying, I vote for more money. And uh, I've, that was always just stood out to me. I mean, of course, if we have the ability ourselves to vote, we're going to vote for more of whatever it is that we want. And so talking about shepherding the flock of God and recognizing that I am a shepherd, um, I realized that I could have my own bias in interpreting this. And just as when we talked about what it means for husbands, uh, for wives to submit to their husbands and husbands uh, to be praying for their wives and treating their wives as a weaker vessel, when we looked at those difficult verses, I said that I really did as much research as I could trying to get some outside input, and so I'm trying to do that uh, as well here. So, uh, difficult subject. Uh, hopefully, you're here this morning for a reason, and I, I hope that it's because we're going to kind of maybe clear up some things for you about the church. So, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. Let's read it, and then we'll dig in. So, I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. 
And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter closes the letter by saying, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. We won't get to that verse. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So as we look at this chapter, we're going to look at four things this morning. Uh, We're going to look at uh, why the call to shepherd. And and what I mean by that is we've really been looking at a consistent theme that's followed all the way through 1 Peter, which is how we are to live in exile. Peter has identified us as exiles, and so we've picked up on that Old Testament theme. We've been looking at what it means to be chosen, exiled, and prepared to serve God. And so now it just felt like when I got to chapter five, it was like, here's the theme of exiles. Here's the theme of exiles. Here's the theme of exiles. And oh, here's a little side note on eldering. And then when I studied the passage, it wasn't at all that way. And so I want to address, first of all, why shepherding fits here in the text. And then after we look at why Peter is calling the shepherds to shepherd well, we're going to look at how to shepherd well. And so some of you are saying, well, I can kind of check out here. But, but we're going to talk about what it means to, to lead the church. And so we all want to kind of hear that. What is the pastor going to say about that? Some of you have been on the board and you're not on the board. And, and we kind of have an idea here that if you've been on the board, once a leader, always a leader. So this, some of this applies to you. And some of you are on the board, so you better really listen. And so how to shepherd well. And then a, just a brief little just mention of what it is to shepherd. And then, after we talk about what it means to shepherd, then we also need to know how to sheep well. If there's a shepherd, there's sheep, so you want to make sure you are doing that. So we're going to look at those four things. And so, first of all, why the call to shepherd well? Uh, Peter uh, states this command in verse 1 of verse 5. He says, he says, he starts, I exhort you. And so what you would normally have, if I'm trying to get your attention, is I would say, I would exhort you to listen. I would exhort you to do this. But Peter says, I will exhort you, and then he kind of rambles on a little bit before he gets to the actual exhortation. He says, I will exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as the partaker of the glory of the going. What's the exhortation in there? Well, the exhortation doesn't come till verse 2. So Peter starts with this, I'll exhort you, but he doesn't get to it for a while. Now, what's missing in the ESV version for me in verse 1, at the very first word, it says, so. I wish they would have used the word therefore. Um, It's just, most of us are kind of attuned to when the word therefore, we stop and ask, what's it there for? And the word so is is serving the same uh, uh, reason here. We're supposed to be looking back at what he just said. And so if we go back to chapter 4, remember that he has this whole talk, and we looked at last week, about what it means to suffer as a Christian. So with that in mind, 
and uh, this idea of suffering, and then also look back uh, in chapter four, he says in verse 17, look at it. For it is the time of judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, I believe this is one of the hyperlinks that we've been looking at in 1 Peter. And for those of you who are visiting, you know, hyperlink on the internet, you click on it, it takes you somewhere. And sometimes when Peter is writing, he, he puts something in there that's supposed to remind you of an Old Testament story. And that is one of them. And the Old Testament story is in Ezekiel chapter 9 and in Malachi chapter 3. And to the exiles, he says, judgment is coming. And judgment starts with the household of God. Ooh, that kind of gets your attention. Judgment is coming. It starts with the household of God. But even more than that, judgment starts with the leaders of the household of God. So we had this hyperlink taking us back to Old Testament passage where God reminds them the judgment is coming and I need to deal with my people and I need to deal with the leaders of my people. So I exhort you, leaders of my people, shepherd well. It's meant to grab the heart of the leaders and go, oh, okay. Man, it, I wish I could show you like all the elders' wives just did one of these, right? Just a nice little, there was just a, that was, man, I wish we had that on camera. It was great. There's three men out there going, ow. Um, what, the, the call to shepherd. So he says, therefore, listen up. Look, when judgment comes, we start with the leaders. Now, now go back to this, this chapter uh, five, verse one. The elders among you. Uh, the assumption is that within all the churches that he is writing to, that there's going to be a few elders in each of these groups. They're among these churches. He calls himself a fellow elder. Now think about who's writing this. This is Peter. This is, this is the apostle Peter, one of the heads of the church. This is Peter who was in the in the inner three of the circle. I mean, this is Peter, and he doesn't identify himself. He doesn't say, listen up, I'm a disciple of Jesus. He doesn't say, listen up, I'm one of the apostles. He says, hey, I'm one of you. I'm fellow elder with you. And so, to me, Peter steps down into the role of local elder, and he brings the elders in that community up into his position of leadership. He says, look, we're doing this together. And specifically, and referring to the passage from last week, Peter identifies himself as somebody who witnessed the suffering of Jesus. He said, if there's any doubt on what I just said about suffering, let me remind you that I witnessed the suffering of Jesus. And then he says, and Somebody who is a partaker to come in the glory. And what a beautiful description of who Peter sees himself as. 
And so if you're here this morning, you're not an elder, you're just visiting, this applies to all of us, that we are part of this larger family of God as followers of Jesus, and that we look back at the suffering of Christ as somebody who maybe is going through suffering, and we recognize that we're going to go through that because Christ went through that, but we also look forward to the glory to come. So, the why there is because Peter is connecting this with that idea of the judgment and suffering that is to come on the household of God. And so he says to the leaders, pay attention. So now, how do we shepherd well? Um, I don't do this very often, but um, in one of the commentators, uh, the commentaries this week, just just. I was trying to sum this up. I was trying to quote parts of it, and I, I, just, I just couldn't. I just thought what was here was just really good for us to listen to. And uh, the author of this uh, commentary on 1 Peter, uh, Daniel Dorian, I don't even I don't know him, um, but this is just, I thought this was really good. On overseeing the flock of God, he says, C.S. Lewis noted that humans sometimes make strange claims to ownership. We talk about my body as if we had created the pulsing energy within us. We use the word my for ownership, but fail to notice that my cannot possibly mean ownership most of the time. We use these phrases very differently. My shoes, my coworker, my wife, my father, my church, my country, and my God. We cannot reduce all these relationships to ownership as in my teddy bear. For an unpleasant child, my teddy bear can mean the bear I can pull into into pieces if I like. Surely we cannot do what we like with my church. At worst, my church means the church that that ought to do what I want them to do. We should have a home church, and we may call it my church, but the church is God's people and family before it is ours. We read that passage this morning about the shepherd. Therefore, my church should mean the part of God's family that is in my spiritual home, the one I love, warts and all, and the one that loves me, warts and all. The church is often so disappointing. Don't say amen there. So far short of God's ideal. Particular churches hurt many people And many people feel hurt, which is not the same thing. Yet the church, as God sees the whole, is a glorious family that stretches across all lands and all centuries and leads to eternity. Sadly, even good churches, the better parts of the whole, are regularly places of shallow relationships, weak teaching, dull worship, and lazy prayers. Worse, some particular churches are breeding grounds for wounded relationships and heretical ideas, where the worshipers are critics, and it seems that everyone is either angry or asleep. Clearly, we need God to shepherd us even in our spiritual activities. To the church, the church will inevitably disappoint perfection-demanding attenders, if only because no style of music, liturgy, preaching, and serving suits everyone. More important, every church 
is entirely composed of sinners. The church is the only organization in which all who join must first declare themselves unworthy to do so. Since sinners do act the part, the church will inevitably fail its members. But the church's failures is not equivalent to God's failure. When the church fails, we must look past it to the Lord of the church. Pastors, elders, and shepherds must strive to represent the Lord well. And all the while, we must remember the church is his, not ours. How can uh, he can accomplish what our plans and skills do not? Uh, I just I have found that very helpful. Um, we, we think about the church, and it becomes so many things to so many people that really we can't please everybody. I was talking about one such issue of something that we were messing with, and some people said that was the worst. Oh. And then other people came to me and said, thank you, that was so helpful. And I told somebody, I really, if I had life to live over again, a farmer seems really nice. The plants can't complain back to you. I didn't want to be a strawberry. I mean, I picked the wrong career. Or I guess from a biblical point of view, the, the wrong career picked me. God picked me. How do we shepherd well? First thing, in proximity. He says, uh, shepherd the flock that is what? Among you. Here's something that's happening in the church, and I didn't even think about this until I just said that. Uh, there are so many people that are shepherding way too many flocks on the internet. Or other churches in town that have opinions about what's going You know what? I, we all have opinions of how transition is happening, how this thing is happening, but until you've been to all the meetings... Until you've been through all the conversations, until that's been a part of you, you don't get to throw rocks in that. You've got to be careful with that. And so there's so many people that want to shepherd everybody from afar. And, and we need to do that. So it's in proximity. We're supposed to be in community. We're supposed to be rubbing elbows together. And then second, exercising oversight. Now, I had to kind of change gears a little bit on this. And here's my confession um, I, when I saw exercise oversight, the elder among me said, I know what that means. And on your notes, I had exercise authority. Oversight, authority, it's not the same, it's not, that's not the word. And so as I do, I, just, I like to check all my boxes before and come in early Sunday morning. And this word oversight is only used twice in the Bible. Now, obviously, we see the word oversight, it's another Greek word. This word oversight is only used twice here and in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 15, which I think was from our reading this morning or, or yesterday. The word uh, is used here in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse, I'm just going to read it because it's, uh, you have to actually, when you look at it, you go, well, where is it? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that no one fails to abstain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it 
may become defiled. You say, where's the word oversight? It's, it's the word see to it. It's the same Greek word there. And so oversight here means to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, to care for. It's not a, this isn't a ruling word here. Now, other places in Scripture talks about elders overseeing in a different manner or managing the affairs of the church, but this is a different type of oversight. Now think about who's writing this for a second. Just step back. Peter, as one of the disciples of Jesus, he was gung-ho. He was often the mouthpiece for the other guys, or at least a mouthpiece. Whether he was speaking for everybody, we're not always sure. And so as Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, he's repeatedly telling the disciples that the Son of Man must be crucified and raised. I mean, he, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be turned away. He keeps repeating it. And on the night that he was betrayed, he's talking about all this stuff. And Peter says, oh, not me. These guys, yeah, they might deny you, but not me. And in his mind, he's going, I'm ready to fight. I'll pull the sword. I only have a knife, but I'll pull a sword. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And you know what? I don't think Peter walked out of that going, Jesus doesn't believe in me. I think he walked out of there going, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to prove him wrong. So they come to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls his knife, tries to cut off the ear of one of the servants. He's ready to fight. But after that, when Jesus is arrested, all that spunk leaves Peter. Before the rooster crows in the morning, he looks somebody in the eyes three different times. One time he says, I never knew, I don't even know who you're talking about. At one point in time, because God is just so, the gospel writers have this picture of Peter says, I don't know the man, cock-a-doodle-doo, Jesus looking him in the face. Oh, man. So Peter, after Jesus' death and resurrection, excited all that, but what does he end up doing? He says, I'm going to go back fishing. Why? Because I'm a failure. Because I'm not worthy to be one of the leaders anymore. I'm not the rock. And Jesus goes through a healing process with Peter. And three times he asks Peter, do you love me? And Jesus' response to Peter's response is, then feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, here's how you're going to show it. You're going to feed my sheep. You're going to tend my sheep. And I think in those ideas of feed and tend, also the idea of protect. The elder's oversight is primarily where God's word speaks, 
where they're being fed, where they're being led by God's word. The elder's leadership with godly principles in mind sometimes extends to other things that we have to make decisions about. But Peter here is saying to the elders, look over the people in your care. And they're supposed to do that willingly. They're supposed to do that because they feel that God is leading them to do that, not because somebody begged them. They're to do it willingly, not by constraint. <laughs> I, like, who is constraining these people? Heck, we can hardly get them to come forward. And he says, not for shameful gain. What is the gain here? Um, I think there's sometimes, you're not to do it for gain and status. Look, if you think you're now in part of the elite club, uh, you're in the wrong club. If you're doing it because uh, you're going to get some financial uh, help, uh, then you're in the wrong denomination. Um, not the word denomination, but Baptist is not the way to go. I can give you some clues if that's what you're looking for. It's not for shameful gain. It's eagerly. Eagerly. Not that we have to look over the body of Christ, but that we get to look over the body of Christ. And specifically, we're eager to be an example. Shepherd the flock of God that is among, among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but by being examples. That we're, we're actually eager to be an example and say, follow me. We're eager to feed and tend and protect. How do we shepherd well? We do it in community. We do it because we have this oversight that is looking into and responsible for people's souls. We do it willingly. We do it eagerly, and then we do it humbly. And I think this is seen a lot of different ways in this passage. Uh, Peter, a fellow elder among you, um, and then there's this call for humility in verses 5 and then in verse 6. And it's kind of the, to me, it's kind of the hinge. He's saying to the elders, you be humble. And then he's saying to the followers, you be humble. What's going to bridge this whole thing together is humility. Now, we uh, pastors... Uh, all joke about a book that we're going to write. Almost every pastor I know jokes about that. There's been some uh, current uh, articles going around the Gospel Coalition of, of they asked the question, a bunch of guys wrote the article. And the book is entitled, it, all pastors have the same book, and it all has the same title. What They Didn't Teach Me in Seminary. Okay? Uh, yeah, it's just What They Didn't Teach Me in Seminary. And I, I'll tell you, you know, for me, um, there's so many things. But I remember going through seminary and I remember taking all these classes and paying a ton of money and coming to a little church up in the mountains of Idaho and having been there for like a month when one of the gals in the church who had been struggling to get pregnant, who had lost a baby late term, was pregnant with twins 
and lost the twins. And that was the first time that I said to myself, I don't remember that class in seminary. Now, I've said that many, many times. I've said it this week. They didn't teach me how to pick a copier. You know, it's amazing the things, and we were talking about this as a staff, you know, when, when we were talking about our, how we do a church directory here at the church, and you know, so those of you that are old and you know who you are, you all grew up in a time when they delivered a book to your house that had everybody's name and number in it, okay, called the White Pages. Jory was saying in, the, in his, it's like even the kids' names were in there, Okay. I'm telling you, the younger generation does not understand the concept of you have my name and number. And so people are saying, can I get a church directory? And, I, and I'm the guy in the middle going, half the people are like, where's my church directory? And the other half of the people are like, don't put your name in there. I don't want my name in there. And so I'm already set up for failure. And they say, can't we just put it on the internet? In, in, our, in our group life. I said, yeah, we can but there's a couple people that are going to be calling me every week and I can't figure out how to open the directory. I, I don't, what's the right solution? <laughs> Compromise upsets both people, right? And so, look, I, what am I saying? There's just so many things that, that Peter is not, he, he's not talking about healthcare. He's not talking about building policies. He's not talking about how to pay your pastor. He, I mean, he's talking about just shepherds just looking over your sheep. And I know that the shepherds among us feel overwhelmed by all the other things. So what are the main functions of shepherding? I've narrowed it down to three. Teaching. Now, I don't, I don't believe every elder has to be a preaching elder. I do believe that every elder teaches. Um, whether it's in a small group or whether it's in discipleship or whether it's somewhere, shepherds teach. That's, that's what shepherds do. Second, to some degree or another, and we all have to define what that is, shepherds lead. That's what, shepherds had the responsibility to take the sheep to where the food was, where the water was, where the was protected to get them in at night, out in the morning. The sheep, shepherds lead. That's what they do. And shepherds care. They have a caring role for the church. Whether that's done in prayer, whether it's done with visiting, whether it's done with giving a hug, there's a caring role in that. Those of you who went through relational elder training, which we really need to do again for our church, they had five functions of the elder, the intercessory, the doctrinal, the shepherding, the missional, uh, and the, I have four, one, two, no, and, and the developmental, that they're developing other guys. When we talked with our elders, when we were going through RET, we talked about where does communication come in that, where does being the father discipler in that. We talked about some of these different roles, but we could narrow down the categories into the teaching, leading, and caring categories. Now, I've got some bad news for you. Sheep are really cute, but they're also really dumb. Um, you know, 
God chose sheep as the sample, as the illustration here. He could have made it, you know, German shepherds. You know, watch the German shepherds among you. You know, or, or dogs just are kind of cool. Cats are not, I'm sorry. Okay, that would have been a whole different illustration somewhere that would have gone around. You know, or he could have said, you know, you know, be a cowboy to the horses or whatever it is, but he didn't. He said, you got to be a shepherd to the sheep. And sheep are not the brightest animals. In fact, if sheep fall over, somebody's got to pick them up. Sheep will eat things they're not supposed to eat. They will drink things they're not supposed to drink. Nobody has ever said in the history of the world, look out, sheep. (laughs) Run, herd of sheep. No, we don't say that. You go, oh, look at those dumb animals. So how do we sheep well? We sheep well in humility. We understand that all of us, in order to be a part of the church, we start with the proclamation that I am a sinner unable to save myself. We start with the recognition that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. We start with the assumption that he who is in me is greater. And so there's a humbling point that we understand I make mistakes and our leaders make mistakes. That I understand that I am in need of some direction. And the moment you get to that point where you say, I think I got this well, pretty well figured out. The moment you get to that point is when we usually end up falling, isn't it? I was meeting with, with Fred this week and he was asking me some questions about the church and different things. And I said to him, there was a point in my pastoring, and I would say it was probably before I got here, where I said, I think I got this thing figured out. I think I, think I got this thing figured out. I remember saying that. And now, 10, 15 years later, I will say, I haven't got this pastoring thing figured out. I, I mean, I went to seminary, I got a doctorate, James Gleason said, hey, I'm going to do a little discipleship with some pastors in the area. Who would like some coaching? I'm like, hey, I'm 50 years old, but I'll take that. Man, I tell you, there's, there's, all of us need to be humbled by the fact that we are all growing, moving, changing. Second, um, on your notes there, we need to do it in faith. So he says, humble yourselves, verse 6, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at a proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And as I thought about that, what does it mean to cast anxieties on God? And and I know that some people here say, I have literal anxieties. I I mean, how do we cast our anxieties on? on the Lord, and there's, there's something in there that he wants you to pick up. And listen, church, he wants to remind you today that you can trust him because he cares for you. The creator of the universe, the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, awesome God cares for you.
Now, I'll tell you, when I identify cares, I would like him, I would care if he got me uh, this, or I care if he did this, or I'd care if this happened, but it's not that kind. I don't get to pick and choose the care. The care is, as somebody who is all-knowing, who wants you to know this morning that he loves you deeply, he knows you intimately, and he loves you deeply. And so we can say, man, this is hard for me, and I I don't know how to deal with it, and I'm going to give it to you because I know you know me intimately and you care for me deeply, and so I give this to you. So we do it in faith. How do we sheep well? In clarity. What do you mean by clarity? Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be clear-thinking. Then he says, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now look, if we lived in the right place, right, and and this was, and I said, hey, um, one of the elders just came to me, Uh, we got a call from the local authorities, and uh, there's a lion roaming around Hillsborough. You need to be careful. Now, if I said that, you would go, cuckoo. You know, and I have an SUV, so I don't care. But if you were living in the right place where you had to walk home and there was literally a lion, you would probably pay attention. In fact, that cat that comes out of the bushes that's only, you know, like two pounds would probably get your heart rate going a little bit at first. And so there's this idea of what he is saying is, look, you need to be paying attention because you have an enemy that is coming after you. People say, oh man, why is there so many problems in the church? Because there's opposition. Look, if if you want to sit around and do nothing, if, if we want to just say, hey, our church mission is to be the best potluck church that's ever existed, the devil will say, go for it. Now, as soon as you start talking about evangelism, as soon as you talk, start talking about discipleship, now the devil's like, I'm not too happy with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a potluck. We're having food right afterwards. Don't panic. But the idea, if that's all you want to do is come and be a club, Satan's fine with that. The moment you start saying, let's be lights to the world, there's going to be conflict. Be sober-minded, watchful. Notice that the elders are supposed to watch and you're supposed to watch. And then there's supposed to be resistance. Stand your ground. Stand your ground. The adversary of the devil prowls around. So he says, resist him. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Stand your ground. There needs to be strength in that. Going back to the the quote that I read, look, I get it. We're all unhappy. The church isn't everything we need it to be, but let's not let the devil put into our hearts a seed that is going to cause us to never be satisfied. Let's be stand firm in who Christ is. Now, let me just read verse 10 again and I just thought it was so powerful. And after you have suffered, 
Not if you have suffered. Not when you have had to suffer. But Peter says to the church that's living in exile, he says, look, after you've suffered for a little while, and it doesn't seem like a little while when you're going through it, does it? It sounds, it sounds bigger than that. I didn't mean to say bigger than that right after the, the burp there, but it was, that was a good one. That was a good one. Savannah's paying attention. That's great. When we've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, he, this is what he is going to do for you. Church, listen up. Individually, when you come into his kingdom, he says, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. I want to restore you. I'm going to confirm you. He's going to pull you aside and said, you doubted sometimes. But I'm going to remind you right now, I knew you deeply and I loved you unconditionally. I knew you and I loved you. I just want to confirm that. You, you were wondering, but I want you to hear it from me. I love you. He's going to strengthen you. If you think as you get older, you're getting weaker and you're losing things, and if you think as you're getting older, uh, you, you're not as sure about your faith as you were when you were younger, if you think about when you get to the end, what will it be like? It will be like being re-strengthened. In fact, like wings of eagles, the Bible says. And he will establish you. There's an ongoing theme in Scripture that, that God wants to settle us in to a Sabbath rest. And I think this is what Peter's getting here. I'm going I'm to settle you in. You're going to be established. Beautiful picture. Application and action. To the leaders among us, I say, shepherd well. Uh, I was challenged by this this morning. Uh, and this week, I, I probably should have even been more um, challenged by it. The idea of what it means to shepherd, to lead, to teach, to care. Uh, to all of us, to those who are past and present, I say, shepherd well. To all those who serve in ministry roles, it doesn't have to be an elder, um, I say, shepherd well. To all those in that place, I, I, I would say, be reminded that God has you there for a reason. Do it well. To the sheep among us, I say, pray for your shepherds. Pray for those who are exercising oversight. And I could have just said sheep well, but I, I, I want to say to you this morning, look, um, it's hard to lead a group of sheep. Um, and to be honest with you, after uh, over 20 years of ministry, and it didn't take me 20 years to figure it out, but I would say this, sheep bite. Sheep bite. Sheep make messes. 
one of my favorite, favorite proverbs, I was trying to find it, I don't think I can find it real quick. Um, I always bring this up in my, uh, in my classes in, in um, uh, Bible study methods, because uh, it's just one of my, oh, here it is, in Proverbs chapter 14. This is the proverb. Where there are no oxen, the manger is clean. And I just, that's appealing to me. There, there's just a clean barn. But then the proverb says, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Hey, you want to you wanna have a great harvest? You, you, need, you need some power to do that. And if you need power to do that, it's going to come from the ox. And you say, you got to clean up after him. And you say, oh, thank God we have tractors. Well, they need the oil change and the gas replayed and all the filters and tires. And all. It's the same thing. If you're going to have fruit, there's going to be a mess. And so look, shepherd well. And those who are shepherding um, are under a huge amount of pressure. And because none of us want to mess this up. I want, I want you to know the elders don't wake up in the morning and say, what can we do this week that will really irritate people on Sunday morning? That just comes naturally. We don't even have to think about it. So pray for them. To the hurting among us, and I know that there are sheep here who are struggling physically, emotionally, financially, I want to remind us to stay strong in our faith that the God who created us and loves us will one day restore us, strengthen us, establish us in his kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Father God, thank you for this morning and uh, from your word. Uh, We thank you for the fellowship that is about to happen and the food that we're about to partake in. Uh, We thank you for an opportunity to come together and to worship well. And uh, Lord, we recognize that that means that we need to have a heart that is open to what your word says and a spirit that is pliable to the way that you are directing us. So I pray that we would listen to your word, that we would obey it, and that we would apply it to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.